a good morning friends at Junction 10. Um, I preached this message on Sunday and for technical reasons there were uh, problems with the podcast but um, people after the service uh, talked about how uh, the message was relevant to them and to the church and, and one or two friends afterwards who weren't able to be at the service um, said they would have liked to hear it so I've recorded it at home and here it is. Um, for Christmas I bought Vicky my wife some gardening gloves and I bought them on an online shop and the pattern looked quite pretty it seemed to have ladybirds and a little black pattern around the ladybirds and, and from the small picture on the website they look great they were good quality gloves and at the time at a really good price so I bought them uh, when they arrived it turned out yes there were ladybirds but the little black patterns were ants yep that's it ants not quite as cute as I'd hoped um, I also bought her some uh, other bits and pieces including some secateurs for pruning so you might be getting the picture that we're quite keen on gardening and it's no surprise that it was Vicky who suggested I speak on pruning today and you know it was one of those times that when she suggested it I had that internal witness that yes of course I should Vicky knows how I have been pruned over the past few years and particularly the effect this has had and what God has been doing in that I'm learning that despite my imperfections and how often I get it wrong through my brokenness my main job is to remain in the vine that's the key to the deeper inner life and that's all that Jesus asks so today uh, the topic is pruning lessons from the vine for the inner life and the passage I'm going to read to you is John 15 verse 1 to 8 this is Jesus speaking I am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you remain in me as I also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing if you do not remain in me you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples now if you're listening today and you're not connected to the vine 
and you're not reminding Jesus. Perhaps you've never been grafted into the family of God as part of your spiritual journey. Or, or maybe you were connected to the vine ones, but you're no longer connected and you don't remain in the true vine, Jesus. Then you're not listening to this by chance. Can I say God is close to you? And perhaps today is the day that you need to decide to follow Jesus or recommit your life to him and connect into the true vine. But for many of you, you are remaining in Jesus. So what might this passage say to you? Well, as I've said already, God has been teaching me about pruning and the inner journey and he hasn't finished yet by a long chalk. It's very much an ongoing and at times difficult, painful and frustrating process. But I believe he has something to say to us through this as individuals, but also to Junction 10 as the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I feel as a church, we've been through quite a long season of pruning. But when I was worshipping in the service on Sunday morning before giving this message, I had a great sense that greater fruitfulness is coming. And just last week in the service, we had another couple of strong prophetic words of God calling his children into a deeper life with him. And I think this idea of pruning is possibly part of how God has been inviting us into that. So let's spend a few minutes digging a little deeper together into this passage and unpack what Jesus might be saying. As we do, I want to encourage you to listen and apply this, yes, to your own life as an individual, but also think about what we've been through as a church at Junction 10. Think about what you've been through. Think about what we're going through now and what we face in the future. And I hope that this word can help give us a sense of what's been going on. Help us to understand what we've been through and maybe what God is calling us into. Did you know that the vine is mentioned more than any other plant in the Bible? In biblical times, the grapes' centrality to everyday life meant that there were numerous vineyards. Many families would either own one or have worked in one or have rented one. And the people that Jesus was speaking to would be well acquainted with vine growing. The vine was used in the Old Testament as an important picture of Israel. Apparently over the temple gate there was a vine and there were grapes of gold. But when the vine was used to describe Israel, it often wasn't a positive image, but a sprawling, out of control, unproductive, fruitless vine that was under the judgment of God. So, so it's not surprising that Jesus draws on the image of the vine and when he does so he talks about pruning. As you and I might not quite be so acquainted with vines, a good question that we could ask is why? Why prune a vine? Well, here are four of the main reasons. And remember, Jesus uses this image in the natural to help us understand what God does with us in the supernatural. So number one of four, pruning helps the young vine to be productive and to develop. 
The key to having a productive vine one day starts with training and pruning a grapevine right from the very outset. You see, the branches of a vine know how to grow prolifically, but they don't know how to grow to be most fruitful. That's the master vine dresser's job. To get a vine into production as quickly as possible, the master vine dresser has to prune and train it whilst young. Number two, pruning to maintain a proper balance between growth and fruit. Without pruning, the vine gets bigger and bigger every year, pushing the most active growth to the very end of the vine and creating lots and lots of flower clusters. And you might think, that sounds good. Isn't that a picture of the kingdom of God all about growth? Well, at first, this will look quite lovely. But an out-of-control grapevine produces lots of leaves, lots of flower clusters, but seldom produces good quality grapes. The new shoots will be underdeveloped and will produce less and less quantity and poorer and poorer quality grapes. And in the end, no fruit at all. A sprawling vine, you might say, is all bark and no bite, all show and no go. All talk and no action, all mouth and no trousers, all fluff and no substance. Number three, pruning to maintain proper crop size. Now overcropping is probably the biggest mistake new growers make, trying to grow as many grapes as they can provide. But more grapes on a single branch means that fewer nutrients for each cluster Insufficient nutrients lead to an imbalance between fruit development and fruit ripening. So the result is poor fruit colouring and very, very poor flavour. And finally, number four, pruning to maintain proper structure. The last but not least reason why we prune grapevines is to develop and maintain the structure of the grapevine. Most grapevines are grown on some sort of supporting object, usually a trellis. The maintenance of the structure of the grapevine on this supporting object is very, very important. Pruning is not just about the particular branch being pruned, but also about the other branches in the structure. Imagine a branch full of leaves and lots of grapes, but that branch covers up several other branches beneath it. So pruning is not only beneficial for the particular branch being pruned, but allows light to penetrate all the other branches. Keeping any grapevine in shape on the trellis is impossible without pruning. And, and as an aside, I think it's worth saying that a grapevine doesn't produce grapes on this year's growth. If you prune a grapevine this year, it produces uh, buds. And it's the buds that were laid down in the previous year that produces grapes this year. So when you prune a branch, you'll not get grapes this year. You'll only get buds and green shoots. But they will be the fruit bearers for the next season. And at this point, it's worth pausing and reflecting. Can you see a comparison with a church life continually and constantly presses for visible outward growth today but doesn't secure abundant fruitfulness for the future can we become too preoccupied with seeing the external growth signs 
rather than cultivating in this season the unseen life that produces fruit in the next season. And that's where I wanted to talk about the inner journey of pruning. Imagine the vine dresser in this motif God. He cares for and nurtures the vine. He fertilizes it, he lifts its branches from the ground, he cleanses them, he props them and ties them onto the trellis and he takes measures to protect them from insects and from disease. He knows when and how much to prune. But when you are a branch, when you and I are the branches, as Jesus said, pruning effectively results in losing part of you that was very fruitful. Something by definition that you were extremely attached to. When you're pruned, you lose something valuable, but you can't see any good that will come from it. You look back to a time when your own branch was full of fruit, and now you see a bare stick. You look at your own branch, and you despair when all around you, you see other green, leafy, growing branches. But when it comes to the spiritual life, we need to be like the men of Issachar, who knew the times and the seasons and knew what should be done. Otherwise, we'll always be striving for productivity and then we get frustrated or even act against God's plans when we go through a season of pruning. Your journey, I promise, will include mountain tops and desert places, times of growth and of pruning. Times of great joy, but also of sadness, and times of healing, and times of being frustrated by illness. Let me say that's okay. That's how it is. That's how it's supposed to be. I, I personally don't buy into the merchandised version of Christianity that sells and promises that a relationship with Jesus is a means of financial wealth and personal health all the time and if you're not healthy and if you're not wealthy then there's something wrong with you don't buy into it at all now yes i believe in the prosperity that the bible speaks of and yes i fully believe in the healing power of jesus and jesus can and does heal today but more often the bible talks about the trials tribulations and hardships in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 to 25 the apostle Paul is basically saying that the safest place to be at is the center of God's will and then he says well let me show you what that looks like being stoned being imprisoned being beaten being shipwrecked etc in 2016 Britain our faith may never lead us to be stoned, but how often do we feel like life has given us a beating? We may not be bound or flogged, but how many other things bring us to our knees? We may not have been shipwrecked on a desert island, but how often can storms of life overwhelm us? And we may not be behind physical bars in prison, but how many of us are trapped behind psychological and emotional inhibitions. 
And too often we can look at these circumstances and come to the wrong conclusions. We can take a biblical truth, but we can make an error in interpreting it and we can end up believing a lie. So, for example, truth, God loves me, I am his child, truth. Truth, I am going through some really difficult things, that's true. Error, surely if he were a loving God, he wouldn't let these troubles come. Or, or maybe he'd rescue me from them right now because it's so painful and, and a loving father wouldn't let his child suffer like this. And then lies. Well, God can't love me very much or I can't trust God. So we have to be really careful when looking at and evaluating our Christian life. Jesus is clear. If we're to be his followers, we take up our cross daily and we expect that if the world persecuted and misunderstood him, then how much more will that apply to us? That might not sound very attractive. And on the surface, it doesn't sound much like good news. But Jesus says that when we come to him weary and heavy laden, he gives us rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He is the way, the truth and the life. And when we come to him, we find our way to God and eternal life. He says that he is the bread of life, the very substance of our being. He's a deep well that does not run dry when we drink of him and we will never thirst again. You see, when we devote ourselves to following Jesus, our life may not always be easy. It won't be a bed of roses, but it will always have real purpose. And Jesus says, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. To the world and to Satan, Jesus dying on the cross was defeat. But through God's divine eyes, it was the greatest victory. So friends, we have to take our attention off the physical, off the immediate, off the worldly, and evaluate spiritually where we are by other means, through the eyes of faith. If we're facing the bareness and barrenness of pruning, then I believe God is calling us into a deeper inner life. And earlier this year, when I found myself in a desert place, a friend of mine wisely reminded me that the wilderness can be where we find holy ground if we will just stop and step aside. The wilderness came from God's pruning, but alongside that, a growing sense of a rich, deep inner work that God was drawing me into. And isn't God amazing? Because he never leaves you alone on the journey. We don't always realise at the time how God is orchestrating things, but I found myself listening to podcasts and people and talking to, to people who were on the journey and also being called into this inner life. One of these friends actually gave me a couple of books by an author called Richard Raw, and they really helped. And if you feel that you too are being called deeper, then, then go and find really good authors who've been on the journey and know the journey. Um, because 
when everything's pruned away, we can feel naked and bare, and doubts can creep in, and our trust can begin to waver. But, but this moment, if we choose to, gives us the chance to, to trust God even more, and to grow in new ways and new levels of faith. This is where God calls you deeper into that rich inner journey. A journey into his greater love and grace. Just think about the things that Jesus and the Bible says. I am in you and you are in me. That's Jesus talking. The kingdom of God is within. The Holy Spirit has been placed in you. You are the temple of God and the Spirit indwells you. In, in, in. The one thing I've learned is if we're to submit to pruning and go through this inner journey, then we have to keep hope. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And when dreams don't come true, it's easy to become depressed. But, but hope hasn't necessarily failed. When your hope takes a long time to come to fruition, when it drags, that sense of time, of waiting, can be very sad and disappointing. Imagine how it feels to wait for something, something that you believe to be very important, something that God spoke to you and at the time it seemed as though it was going to happen straight away. And it doesn't. And it drags. And you start to wonder if God is ever going to give it to you. You start to wonder why he's taking so long. Does he really love you after all? But notice the thing that makes you sick in this passage. It's not the delay of the outcome, but when you defer hope itself, when you give up on hope itself. So, so please don't let go of hope. The second bit of this passage says, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And as I said right at the start, remember that there's a sense of God saying greater fruitfulness is coming. Fulfillment of our desires can be a brilliant thing, but the pursuit of this fulfillment can be a temptation to sin. Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit in the garden, or Sarah telling Abraham to sleep with a maidservant and producing Ishmael. And we have to make sure that our desire for the tree of life, a legitimate desire, does not become a desire for something more, for something that's not ours to take on our own terms. Greater fruitfulness is coming, but we must learn to wait on the Lord, to trust that he knows best. And as we trust him, we actually find that he is the true fulfilment of our desires. Let me ask you, are we allowing our heart to become sick because we have expectations about when and how our desires should be fulfilled? Are we, like Adam and Eve, trying to grasp now what might be given to us at a later time, but, but we're trying to do it now on our own terms rather than on God's? Heart sickness is a very complicated thing, and I don't want to make it sound simple. But if we allow, it always takes us to a deeper encounter with God. 
as well as our faith, the question I would ask us is, do we also place our hope in him? Or are we still hoping on something else? Hold on to your hope. Fruitfulness is coming. So pruning calls us into this deeper inner journey with God to trust him more and to grow a richer faith of love and grace in him. And so I wouldn't be doing you any favours to end this sermon with three simple applications for your life or trying to give you the answers. That's not how it works. Yes, in tough times I've found that there are some things, some basic disciplines I can do. I can read my Bible and pray every day. I can make sure I'm worshipping and praising God. I can take thoughts captive to Christ. I should be reminding myself of God's promises and how he's moved in my life in the past and what he said about the future. Yes, I should come to church. Yes, I should talk through things with other mature Christians in an authentic and open way, etc, etc. But for the inner journey, as good as those things are, they're often not the answer. In fact, these disciplines can end up substituting for the deeper inner journey if you let it. And Jesus knew this when he said to the Pharisees that they studied the scriptures which testified about him. But they didn't recognise him. And also, whilst these disciplines point to and enable the deeper journey, they no longer of themselves satisfy the deeper call. So we can end up frustrated because... We're doing more and more of these disciplines, these things that used to work, but they don't give deep down satisfaction. Because they will not substitute for the deeper walk of mystery with God. And the deeper walk is always a walk into greater mystery. It might require different disciplines such as contemplation or solitude, meditation, fasting and simplicity. Uh, they're, they're not always the ones that, that, that we naturally walk to in this fast-paced, um, productive society. But whatever disciplines you find draw you into that deeper inner life, it will always need to embrace greater mystery. So the end of this sermon isn't an answer. It's an invitation for you to explore along with God what a deeper inner life might look like. In our passage, Jesus said that it's to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit. He wants us to be abundantly fruitful, but also wants that fruit to be sustainable and delicious. And the path to greater fruitfulness is to prune fruitful branches. Ultimately, all of this should take us to the cross. Jesus Christ must finally be our tree of life, the true vine where we abide, where we remain, where we dwell. As a church and individuals, we need to see where God has been or is pruning and submit and yield to him. Let's not be occupied with trying to create growth and buds ourselves. Rather, Jesus just calls us to remain in him as we abide in him we allow him to grow the abundant fruit in his timing greater fruitfulness is coming amen